Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 21, titled Brave New World Part 1. Alright, so, uh... We're diving into this big two-part finale arc, and, uh, holy crap, it's insane! <laughs> this, this arc, my god, it is madness. It, it is just so bonkers, there's so much happening, like, it does not hold back at all into just getting into the weird, it is so strange, and I, I love it! I really, really love it. Like, especially since, like, this is basically the end of classic Fringe. Like, after this season's done, after this storyline is wrapped up, we flash back forward to 2036 and fight the Observers and have that resistance arc and all that. And that's their endgame. So this is the end of Fringe as we know it, as we've talked about so far. So, if this is the swan song for classic Fringe, then why not shoot your shot? Go nuts. Go insane. Break out all the madness. Like, just do the thing. (laughs) Do all the things. Why the hell not? And it's great. It's really, really amazing. Uh, But before we get into the meat of all these story bits, uh, I want to get out a quick things that are different. God, that, that, that intro will always persist. That intro will always persist and it'll always be bad. Anyway, so... In this alternate timeline, we already knew that William Bell was alive from that Flash Forward episode. But, we did not know the circumstances uh, that existed in William Bell's life to, you know, not be dead. So apparently, in this timeline, uh, he got cancer at one point. And faked his own death. Like, once he, uh, found out he was sick, he completely faked his own death, made it look like a suicide, wanted to go out on his own terms, uh, and then, uh, went off the grid and apparently turned evil. Apparently recruited David Robert Jones and turned entirely to the dark side and began his plan to destroy two universes to create a third. So, yeah, suffice it to say, a bit of a differentiation. (laughs) Bit of a different path he took from the timeline we know. (laughs) And uh, that is it for Things That Are Different. 
I, I hate it. I hate it so much, and it needs to stop. It's just garbage. It's just such garbage. Anyway, so this madness starts with the occupants of a mall being infected with nanites that cause them to spontaneously combust if they move at all. So there's that. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. (laughs) So... Fringe Division shows up, investigates all this, finds the nanites being the cause, and tries to figure out how to fix these. Trying to figure out how to deactivate these nanites. Uh, They meet a woman named Jessica Holt, who volunteers to uh, be experimented on by Walter to be moved very, 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 very carefully to the Harvard lab and uh, be the guinea pig for an antidote. And they build this character very, very well. Like, uh, she talks about her family a bunch and, uh, like, how she wants to get back to her children, how she doesn't want her children, how she doesn't want her daughter to grow up without a mother, uh, blah, 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 blah. Nice moments with this Jessica Holt woman. And then while they're working on this antidote, this woman starts to do the spontaneous combustion. Uh, The nanites have grown sensitive enough, because apparently they grow more and more and more and more and more sensitive over time. Like, the longer the nanites are in the system, the more, like, tiny movements... Uh, activate them. So apparently she moved in some small way to activate the nanites. So she starts burning up, starts burning up, starts burning up, starts burning up. Uh, while, like, in, like, the last minute of creating this antidote. Like, literally, it is race against the clock. Uh, we need to get this antidote before she burns up and dies. And Olivia grabs her hand and instinctively, without even knowing she's doing it, uh, sucks up that biokinetic energy that the nanites are giving off in their overload and, uh, stops her from spontaneously combusting long enough for the antidote to be completed and administered. Yup. Olivia's cortexafan powers have grown to the point where she can stop people from spontaneously combusting due to nanites in their system. This episode is insane (laughs) this episode is such madness and I love it (laughs) they really just went like and we're just gonna go nuts and do everything we feel like (laughs) and it's beautiful like I'm making jokes about how insane it is it's actually genuinely, genuinely great. As crazy as I as it is, I do genuinely love it. Like it is genuinely still great. Uh, <laughs> just a lot less sane than normal. Uh, but they administer the antidote to Jessica Holt. 
uh, and she's all good, and all the people at the mall are all good, they're, uh, distributing it to them, and they can all go home, and everything's, uh, all great. Normally, this is when the episode will end. But this episode's way too crazy for that. <laughs> because then we figure out that David Robert Jones is the one responsible for planting the device that dispersed the nanites. And more than that, Walter's examining the nanites and finds that they have the signature of William Bell. Who they figure out is, or, or who at least Walter figures out and everyone else looks on skeptically as he rants and raves, is not dead. By the way, just an FYI. The nanites have a signature on them that look very similar to the X on that one dude's shirt in the animated episode when they were on the Zeppelin. According to Olivia at the end of that episode, that man with the X is fated to kill her. Remember, there is still a prophecy hanging over Olivia's head uh, by September that in every possible future, she has to die. Just, uh, just a little layer to this. If you're paying attention, you might notice, and, uh, yeah. Not saying what's gonna happen, I'm just saying these are these are everything we know so far. This is everything we know so far. So we find out that David Robert Jones is responsible is is working for William Bell and has been working for William Bell this entire time. By the way, this is uh what I meant in the last episode when I said um that I didn't think September meant when he said his goal is the same, I didn't think he meant that David Robert Jones wanted to collapse both universes uh, in the original timeline. Because that ended up being William Bell's plan. And William Bell very much was not working with David Robert Jones in the original timeline. So... Yeah, th this is what leads me to believe that September's... His goal is the same line was more of like a half-truth. Because, again, the Observers excel at that. But anyway, we find out David Robert Jones is working for William Bell. There's this great moment where Jones is talking to Bell and is like, This board never changes. This chessboard never changes. How long do you take between moves? And William Bell's like, Oh, oh I, I, I haven't moved this chessboard in 20 years. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Arm Spock. Uh, <laughs> and William Bell then says, like, the beauty of chess is at a pivotal moment, knowing when to sacrifice a vital piece on the board in order to win. And he says that on this particular board, the most important piece 
is the bishop. And in order to win, the bishop must be sacrificed. And Jones instantly is like, Okay, I know what you mean. I will attend to it. So there's that. While this is happening, Walter is trying desperately to prove William Bell's alive and responsible for this. Nobody believes him. Nobody at all. Nina doesn't believe him. Olivia doesn't believe him. Peter doesn't believe him. Asher doesn't believe him. Uh, There's this great scene where they revisit St. Clair's. And Walter looks through logbooks to find uh, the day that he remembers William Bell coming to him to say goodbye. And he's using that as proof that he's alive because he remembers it happening uh, New Year's, New Year's Eve. But he was supposed to die on, uh, he was supposed to have died on Christmas of that year. So he's looking at New Year's 2005 and borrows the logbook. And we'll get back to that later. We'll get back to that later. Suffice it to say, that logbook becomes very, very important. At this moment, this episode somehow gets crazier as David Robert Jones reflects and focuses a beam of sunlight on central Boston. Yup, there is a giant pillar of sunlight bearing down on the city of Boston. And apparently it's bearing down in an exact right spot to burn through uh, a very specific piece of land that is sitting on, on top of a massive oil reservoir that was discovered there. So if it continues to burn through, eventually it'll burn the oil and all of Boston will be destroyed. This episode is freaking insane. (laughs) This episode is insane. And I love it so much. It's so great. It's the best. I love how great. Like, again, this is the end of classic Fringe. This is the sunsetting of Fringe as we know it. Go out with a bang. Do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> Go nuts. I don't care. I love to see it. It's great. It's handled well. I, I, I'm i talking about this, and it sounds absurd out of context, and it is kind of absurd in context, but it, it, it works. Like, this is the magic of Fringe, is it just works. I mean, Jesus, this is the show that did an entire episode about Walter telling a little girl a... Uh, Hard-boiled detective fantasy musical story while high on a custom drug called Brown Betty. So, what else do you expect? (laughs) Uh, But, Olivia and Peter are rushing to stop this giant beam of sunlight. Uh, Walter finds uh, a couple of frequencies that are being used on satellites to direct this beam of sunlight... Uh, is able to use those frequencies and locations of those satellites to triangulate a position where uh, the radio signals, the foreign radio signals are coming from. 
Olivia and Peter go there. They rush there. And there are two antennas on two opposite-facing buildings. So Olivia takes one. Peter takes another. They go up there. Uh, and they have to power this down at the same time. Uh, there's a dial that they both have to turn down at once because if they turn them down out of sync, uh, the beam will just, uh, just start ravaging through Boston because it'll be redirected and go go at, like, an angle. Uh, so they have to both be in sync. It is at this moment that Peter makes a Ghostbusters reference and Olivia under, uh, (laughs) Olivia then reveals that she does not know what that reference means. Peter references crossing the streams but in reverse, but Olivia is just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Olivia's never seen Ghostbusters. Olivia Dunham has never seen Ghostbusters. Shame. Shame. (laughs) Uh, But they turn this off, and then at this exact moment, David Robert Jones attacks Peter. And a fight ensues. David Robert Jones is beating the crap out of Peter. Uh, At this moment, some security guards go up to uh, sort of get into this standoff with Olivia as Olivia tries to frantically explain, I'm FBI, I'm FBI, I'm FBI. Uh, And then when Olivia throws her gun away, the guards do the same. And they're like, "Uh, we didn't mean to do that. What the hell? And it's at this point that Olivia realizes she can control people through telekinesis. And so, she takes control of Peter on the opposite building and uses Peter's body to beat the crap out of Jones. Which, by the way, all these Cortex of abilities sound insane. We know that a bunch has been pumped into her system, like, way more than normal. Like, we know that, uh, David Robert Jones has been pumping her head full of excess Cortexafan. So all of these abilities, like, make sense when you realize there's way more than normal in her head. So these abilities that get unlocked that Olivia hasn't been able to do before, uh, uh, frickin' suckin' uh, biokinetic energy from nanites out of Jessica Holt, controlling Peter with telekinesis, these things she hasn't been able to do before, it makes sense that she can do them now because... She just has way more of it in her system. But anyway, uh, Peter through uh, or Peter being controlled by Olivia beats the crap out of Jones. Jones falls on some electrical circuits and gets shocked a bunch. This does not react well with you know his already unstable body from using teleportation. And he disintegrates. And in his last moments, he was like. I got it wrong. I was the sacrifice. I was the bishop. And it it turns out William Bell, this was William Bell's plan all along. William Bell meant for David Robert Jones to be sacrificed. William Bell meant for David Robert Jones to be killed off. Whatever just happened, it was part of William Bell's plan. 
while all of this is happening. Oh, by the way, David Robert Jones is dead for a second time. May it stick. <laughs> for the love of God. Uh, but while this is happening, Walter's running an experiment where he's baking a lemon cake. Laced with pig's brains. That have been dosed with cortexafan. And he has uh, a page of the logbook within said lemon cake. Because apparently, little known uh, side effect of cortexafan is temporary tissue regeneration. So, with cortexafan being regenerative, used a bunch of it on this pig's brain that he laced lemon cake with... It'll provide a catalyst for any biomaterial to temporarily regenerate itself on this logbook. A.K.A. We got fingerprints back. And a splotch of something that Walter identifies as almond oil. From William Bell's favorite almonds. Uh, Chilean almonds. Walter takes this as a confirmation that William Bell is definitely alive and makes it his mission to go to this one import-export place that brought William Bell these Chilean almonds back in the day and see what the hell's going on there. See if uh, he can get any leads on William Bell there. By the way, in this moment, there's a really hilarious moment where Walter goes on this massive monologue to Astrid saying, like, I know this is probably a fool's errand, but this is my hunch and I'm going to follow it on my own. So peace out. (laughs) And then he leaves. And then, like, Astrid just, like, calmly goes to grab her coat uh, as Walter comes back and is like, I don't drive. (laughs) And Astrid, like, just totally called it. Uh, She might as well have just gone... Three, two, one. <laughs> so Walter and Ashton go to this import-export place to investigate uh, whether or not they've had contact with William Bell. They go in there, and the guy they run into is like, yeah, that import-export place, it uh, shut down years ago. It's not a thing anymore. And then they hear some, uh, some noises. Some... Noises of some really strange creatures. And we go further into the facility. And all of these creatures are in shipping containers. And they're just there. And Walter and Astrid then get cornered by a bunch of guards who are then like, what the hell? They get into a tussle. They get into this big chase. Astrid gets shot, which, no! I mean, yeah, I know. We know she survives till 2036. Like, we know that. But, like, it doesn't hurt less to (laughs) see her get shot. No. Astrid deserves better. Damn it. And then it is at this moment that William Bell appears to Walter and is like, Yup, I'm alive and I'm behind all of this. You were right about everything. And that's where the episode ends. This was part one. All of the insane shit I just described is part one of this madness 
induced two-part finale that I love so freaking much. My God. I can't wait to talk about that last episode. That last episode, man, they they just throw everything they got. They throw everything they got at the sunsetting of Classic Fringe, and it's it's a really fun watch. It's a really fun watch, and it's a very satisfying conclusion, and I'm very much looking forward to talking about it. It's real good. I will just say that. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows, and you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash ThomasClark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll put up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow we will be discussing season four, episode 22, the season finale. Talk to you then.